everybody. Welcome to Short Term Memory. My name's Jack. And my name's Colin. Jack, um, other than bumping into my lovely wife without walking the dog, how's your week been? Yeah, uh, my week has been has been good, man. I I feel fine for a change, which is something that <laughs> like I, I tend to come on here and say, oh, I've got a bit of a cold or X, Y, and Z. But yeah, feeling pretty good, man. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, not bad at all. Glad to hear you're doing well. Yeah. Um, it's it's um, nothing to complain about either this week, which is quite good. Yeah. I'm going to change it up a little bit this week before we get into the the main meat and potatoes of the show. People tend to turn off at the end of show, so I'm going to do this at the beginning and it's going to be what we call a call to action. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing and you've not left a rating yet, can you please go and do that for us uh, and do it on your partner's phone, your children's phones? We don't care at all, do we, Colin, really? No, we have no morals, no scruples, we... Have, we just don't care where it comes from or if it's meant or not. We just need those those clicks, basically. Um, to make it sound really sad, but we've not had any yet this calendar year. Oh, None no. for 2021. Have we not? None that, this year. That no. makes us sad. Sad puppies, and you don't want Indeed. Jack and Colin being sad. Also, in the, coming, in the coming weeks and months, we're looking to not change things up. We're not, like, ripping up what has, I'm going to say, made us popular in our previous pods but what we're looking to maybe shake things up a bit and get some guests on that you might find a little bit surprising but hopefully in the coming weeks and months Colin we're going to get a couple of guys on that will hopefully pique your interest a little bit basically. Yeah definitely Um, we've got one guy that I think most people in Scotland will know of and then there's probably another guy that randomly probably most people in Britain will have some sort of awareness of. So let's just leave it at that because obviously nothing's confirmed yet, but potentially some good stuff happening. Yeah. Who most people will have heard of, but is uh, Alan Sidney Pat- Patrick, sorry, Rickman. Uh, he unfortunately died on the 14th of January 2016, so four years ago. Last week, we sort of scrambled together a, an episode based around Lewis Hamilton's birthday because there was nothing else happening in the world. A few things happened on the 14th of January. Mark Anthony was born. Uh, the Summer of Love kind of started after the BN uh, Festival took place in San Francisco. And there is a quite an interesting me- medieval Christian feast called Feast of the Ass that happens on the 14th of January, but we're not covering any of them, Colin. I'll let you kind of take the reins here, and you decided that we may as well focus a little bit on on Alan Rickman, who I will admit I only really know as being Hans Gruber from Die Hard. I'm not particularly into Harry Potter, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or Love Actually, but he's a really well-known guy and pretty well well thought of in the acting world. Yeah, he's just super, super popular. Obviously, that iconic role um, in Die Hard uh, was kind of the one that launched him. I think it was his first main sort of film uh, role. But for me, and I'm not a person that loves the Harry Potter films, I love love the Harry Potter books, don't love the films at all. Um, I think the films get quite a lot wrong. I don't think the casting's all that great in them either. But the one thing they got absolutely bang on throughout those films was um, the, 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 the part of Severus Snape that Rickman played, he was absolutely tremendous. So I'd love to say that I think of him just from Die Hard, and that's probably the cooler thing to say. But when I think of him, I just think of Snape. I'm not trying to be cool, man. I'm just 
I'm not a movie just buff. Honest. Yeah, I'm just being yeah. honest, man. Like, I don't, I've not seen Dogma. I've seen Robin Hood, to be fair. He was a baddie in that, and he's quite a good baddie. And do you think a lot of it is to do with his his tone and his voice because he's got that really distinctive signature sound? He does. He's got a, a very distinct voice. I think because he had issues with his jaw as a child. Um, it's basically what caused that. He, he had a locked jaw or he couldn't lock his jaw, one of the two. Yeah. And that really led to that sort of sound that came through. Um, he's actually got a... His, his voice has actually been recognised as the perfect male voice. Um, and that's like not just some silly survey or all that. It was actually science, Jack. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I read this too. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, 2008, a pair of researchers, um, a linguist called Andrew Lynn and a sound engineer called Shannon Harris basically analysed voice samples from more than 50 people to determine what makes the perfect human voice. And for men, it's a combination of Alan Rickman and Jeremy Irons. See, that's um, quite interesting because I think that I would quite easily mix up Jeremy Irons and Alan Rickman. Quite easily get them mixed up. Yeah, yeah it's just I can me. see by. No, no, I can, I can totally see that. If you're not into one of them in particular, then it'd be easy to do, aye? Totally. It's not just like, like, I think he got his big break. He sort of made his, his way as a, a stage actor before getting his big break in Die Hard. But he was chosen by Empire, which is one of these big magazines all about films and shit like that that I've never read. But as one of the 100 sexiest stars in film history, he peaked at number 34 in that and also reached number 59 in Empire's The Top 100 Movie Stars of All Time back in October 1997. So, in that world, Empire, when they put you in a top 100 list, you're doing something right, I think. No, definitely, yeah. It's quite a respected uh, magazine. They know their films, for sure. Um, and if you're appearing in that, you you will be decent, especially that high up the chart sort of thing. So, yeah. There's no doubt he was a great actor. He he did all sorts of things as well that like we spoke about playing a, a baddie in Die Hard. They played the baddie in Robin Hood as well. He was like the sheriff of Nottingham. Um, he was a baddie in Love Actually. Like People don't really think of Love Actually in this way, but if you actually break down what the film Love Actually is, it is a bunch of fucking horrible, selfish people doing horrible, selfish things. Um, there's there's a cracking blog somebody wrote about it, which describes it in loads of detail. Um, if you just Google kind of love actually horrible blog, you'll find it. Um, but he, he played a bastard in that. That was um, cheating on his cheating on his lovely wife uh, with his secretary, I think it was, or somebody he worked with. Um, but he's also done like Romeo and Juliet. He's done he's done Sense and Sensibility. He has done many, many different types of roles and he's been great at all of them. He, he was a very, very accomplished actor that was able to turn his hand to more than just being a, a typical kind of baddie in a show and a thing. It'd be easy to say he's the baddie and die hard and be kind of di- what's the word? Not die cast. What's the word I'm looking for? Typecast. Typecast, that's the one. Um, as that, but he wasn't. He, he did far, far more than that and I think that's why people like him so much. I put a tweet out the other night, I ended up, uh, Karen went to bed early last night, which is, like, I always go to bed before Karen, that's just the way of the world in our relationship is, I go to bed first, but she went to bed early last night and I got a little bit of time to watch sort of TV by myself and I tuned into Mark Commode, Secrets of Cinema, and he's got a new one out, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Colin, about British comedy. 
I've not watched it yet. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's on my real list it's of things to list. watch. Yeah. Not, yeah, not the imaginary, oh, I'll watch that list. It's, I'm actually really looking forward to it because the first season was brilliant. Yeah, so I don't want to... I'm not going to do big spoilers, but Love Actually pops in there as a, a British comedy and it's links, the way he links it to sort of sex comedies, British sex comedies, like Confessions of a Window Cleaner and Rita... Sue and Bob too. There's links there. It's kind of very much a it's got a, a sex comedy vibe without ever showing sex in it. Uh, and the way Kermode, as he does, links it very um, s- smartly. <laughs> like I can't even get the right word, but you know what I mean. Sort of the way he links them together sort of makes sense. So yeah, so you've got that to look forward to if you liked Love Actually. Then Mark Kermode thinks that is one of the sort of great British comedies of the last. 50 years, 100 years, whatever, but Alan Rickman, his first career wasn't in acting, he sort of dabbled with drama as a teenager, but he was an artist at first, studied graphic design at Chelsea College, and then done some graduate classes at the Royal College of Art, having a few friends decided to launch their own graphic businesses then called Graffiti, and Alan Rickman says it was all a sort of 1970 fantasy now, but they had this top show uh, top floor studio in Berwick Street shared it with a photographer there was whitewashed brick walls I can imagine it now I can see it <laughs> this yeah you can um, there's, there's no way yeah. yeah there's no way like they'd be able to do a wee startup business like that nowadays and have that address and that sort of location that's that would be a fortune for that sort of office space now yeah but this was like uh, BC as Alan Rickman called it before computers so he basically hiked around <laughs> this massive portfolio of art it would show to all the different directors and clients and they were basically running a constant financial tightrope you can imagine back at the time but it sort of came to a natural finish um, when he started to work sort of in fringe theatre so that kind of pushed him towards the theatre and then he eventually went to the Royal Academy of uh, Drama and Art and sort of happy ending I suppose that he sort of fell into that through he obviously had arty beginnings and it was also a little bit of luck that he ended up working in theatres and then decided to do what he was doing because otherwise like, he may have been a successful artist but like art's a hard game to break unless you're Salvador Dali like we covered recently and you just <laughs> kid on yeah. that you're in a mad trans- transitive Hello friends, Colin here, the looks, the charm and the brains behind Drunk Term Memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listening pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've now introduced a £1 tier where you get absolutely hee-haw other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. We've also reduced the price of the two top tiers uh, by a pound on each of them just because we appreciate Life is a little bit shit just now, and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people, then we will. So check us out at patreon.com forward slash wrong term memory, and you'll be able to get early access to shows, ad-free, and lots of bonus content. Stay in your tripping. But, yeah, so, um, what is it you would call that? Not luck, but... It's a sort of word for that. 
it's the right place at the right aye, time. Sort basically, of thing. Was, yeah. Um, it's funny though that you don't you don't often think of art like not not art as in like paintings and stuff like that, but graphic work like he was doing. Um, it's hard to think about that before computers, like how much of a harder job that would have been. As soon um, as you hear going, graphic design, you think MacBooks basically nowadays. Yeah. yeah. But people did all sorts of graphic design, designed logos, designed print stuff and all that long before computers. And you see it in Mad Men. Mad Men's a good way of showing you, actually, because they would get the copy artists and the copywriters and stuff to do stuff. And they would actually present on a flip chart and all that sort of stuff. And that must be how it was. Whereas now you could go into a meeting with your MacBook, the guy could tell you, nah, I don't like that blue, actually. Can you make that red? And you could do it in a second and show them the finished work there and then. Um, whereas back then you'd be like, right, okay, well, we'll book it, book it in next week and we'll show you what we've got. It's just amazing, like just that one industry, how computers has totally changed that for the better. Yeah, so we obviously came to acting a little bit later in life, so we did, Colin. He did because obviously he tried the graphic stuff and all that first, but he went for uh, an audition in the theatre. Um, I think he, it was kind of Shakespearean stuff he did at first. He auditioned using a speech from Richard III and he got a scholarship to an acting academy and that was him but it did take a while for him to break through he did a few a few auditions that he didn't get um big famous one probably for return of the jedi um in star wars he auditioned for the role of admiral moff Gerard, um who was the guy who oversaw the construction of the death star um which would have been it's not a massive role in flight's name when it but on the poster but to be in star wars would have been pretty cool, although right. you're not really a, oh, a, big, a big Star Wars fan. I'm not a big fan, Star Jack, Wars fan, but when I think about Star Wars, I think about the family guy, Blue Harvest. As Admiral <laughs> Moff Gerard, is he the guy, when they're in the meeting in Stewie's Darth Vader, and the guy says, look, there's this one tiny little design flaw? Uh, yes, I think that is him. Yeah, right, I think okay, that so is if that was fun. him, then that's... I don't know him from the films, I know him from the, the Blue Harvest cartoons from Family Guy, but... Yeah, so he, he obviously went for that role, didn't get it, but he did manage to make his name not in the movies but in stage. I sort of hinted at this earlier. He was in the, he was very much a Shakespearean actor and he was in the production of Les Laisons Dangereux, uh, Dangerous wow, Laisons. That was lovely done, well that done. Was, uh, that was in 1985, the year I was born, and he, the, the play was moved to Broadway in 1987. Rickman it came with it and received both uh, Tony and Drama Desk Awards nominations for the role. So the Tony Awards, I think, are basically the Academy Awards for stage. So he was obviously doing something right on stage, so he was, mate, yeah. Yeah, he was also lucky in, in a way with the Die Hard role, because obviously that was his kind of breakthrough role into cinema. But he he got that role really because of Bruce Willis getting the other role, because for the guys that were making Die Hard... They used something like ninety five percent of their casting budget on Bruce Willis, and that was uh, a massive jump had, for them. Yeah, because yeah, he he hadn't. I think he paid five million dollars for it, and like he was a nobody basically. Like he'd had a couple so of he'd, tiny wee he'd roles. Done Moonlight already, did you not? Yeah, but again, to that to go from that to this massive headline summer blockbuster main event is a big jump. Yeah, it's a big jump from a sitcom with Sybil Shepherd, yeah, that, that is true. Um but it basically left them hardly any money to fill out the rest of the cast, which is why they were able why Alan Rickman was able to get such a big role in a film. Um because the director had seen him uh, in one of the Shakespeare plays 
liked his voice, liked his vibe, and thought he'd be perfect for it. And I'm not somebody that pure thinks that Die Hard is the best film ever, or it's a cinema masterpiece or anything like that. Some people really do think that. I think it's a, a good film that's fun, and I'll watch it if it's on the TV. But I can't imagine anybody else doing that role. They totally nailed the role of Hans Gruber. You just can't imagine anybody else doing that, I don't think, can you? He, he almost turned it down. Um, like He basically, like you said, he got the role because, in his own words, he was extremely cheap. And he kind of looked at the script and thought to himself, what the fuck is this? I'm not doing this action movie. But I suppose, fortunately, he sort of realised the film... He maybe looked into it a little bit deeper, like we mentioned art critics and literature critics maybe looking into things too much, but Rickman maybe looked a little bit more into the script and thought, right, it's maybe not just your... It's not like an army film, you know? Yeah. It's, it, maybe there's there's more layers to it, and they eventually took the part and sort of catapulted them into the, into the Hollywood, basically. He was super principled as well. Um, he held up production of the film for almost a full day because they got to a part of the script where he was supposed to throw a woman down to the floor and he just said, refused to do it and said, I'm not doing it. Um, I don't think it's right. I think it's too much for the role. I think it's too much for this film to be violent towards a woman. And I just wouldn't be comfortable doing it, even as an actor. And he just refused. Did and it took, about, I, I, yeah, it took them about a day to rewrite it, fix it and sort it, but he got his way in the end. Um, and that's quite ballsy. Like, I think we all like to think of ourselves as quite moralistic and quite um, principled people. But if you've broke through as an actor in a big Hollywood movie and you're this is your big opportunity, your big chance, it'd be very, very easy just to shut up and shoot the scene, wouldn't it? Um, but he didn't do that. He stood up for what he believed in, which is quite an admirable thing, I think. It is. It's just a film, but at, at the same time, like, it's... It's not you, you're playing a character, so you can kind of maybe flip it on its head a little bit and say he was being a bit of a pain in the arse, but <laughs> if he if he thought that so strongly and decided to stand by it, then then fair enough. He was meant to be in four weddings and a funeral as well. Um, Hugh Grant basically should be thanking Aaron Rickman because he wasn't the first choice to play the, the Charles guy in his breakthrough film, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, Richard Curtis, who's written many films, thought that Grant was basically too handsome for the part, and at one point it was supposed to be Rickman. Uh, fortunately for Hugh Grant, that changed. So there's there's tons of stories about this because obviously no, in, in films, yeah, just knocking back parts. But Alan Rickman knocked back the main part in that, and it sort of gave Hugh Grant his catapult to uh, superstardom and transvestites and whatever else he was into. <laughs> My um, my favourite one of those, uh, we could probably do a whole show, and these actually are just do one, but my favourite of those is, will always be Will Smith turning down the role of Neo in The Matrix, which I went think, to Keanu Reeves. I think Brad so Pitt then, turned it down as well. Did he? Because um, it involved Brad, too much training, basically. Yeah. Oh, uh, really? Um, well, Will Smith turned it down because he wanted to do Wild Wild West. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, that was a fucking massive mistake. <laughs> just, 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 just a bit. Just a bit. Um, he was also the only person who knew how the Harry Potter books were going to end. Right, okay. Um, he, what do you was mean by that? he was given. So basically, when he was cast as Snape in the first film, when the first film was made, um, I believe the first film came out in between book three and book four. And right, okay. 
obviously there would, there would go on to be seven or eight books. And J.K. Rowling played quite a big part in the casting and the films and all that sort of stuff. And she took him aside one day and said to him, I need to tell you a little bit of what's going to happen to your character in these books. I don't want it to influence you too much, but I want you to know this thing when you're acting in these films up to that part, because what, what I'm going to tell you would have an impact on your character's behaviour. Right. So um, she told him something, and it's, it was massive, and it was a good thing that she did, because Snape was kind of Harry's nemesis, other than Voldemort, I suppose, for the whole sort of series. Um, it was pretty awful to him. Um, bullied him a little bit, even, you could say. But he ended up being probably the most important person in his life, and probably the most important person in the film. And he knew that because she told she chose she chose to tell him that early doors. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an amazing scene in the books. It's an amazing scene in the film uh, between Snape and Dumbledore. And it's actually Harry that's looking at he's he's looking at Snape's memories, and he he learns this thing for himself. And it is it's amazing. It's proper powerful stuff. It's like the best Harry Potter thing ever, actually. Right. Okay, and see, it wouldn't have worked if he he didn't know this early doors. Right. Okay. So that that sort of good good producing, I suppose, from J.K. Rowling or whatever, like letting him know that. But that sort of rings a bell to me because I had over uh, the holidays I had a bit of time off and trying to look at future episodes of wrong term memory. So I was looking at lots of memory things, and one thing that popped in was Snape's most important memory. It's got a popped yeah. up as a thing. And I, I took a note of it thinking, right, we could maybe do an episode on that. So you seem to know quite a lot about that. So we might do that. We might do that yeah. in the that's, future. That's basically that's the line I was just talking about. Right. It's, that's okay. that memory. So we've teased it a little bit. If you're a Harry Potter fan, let us know. Uh, uh hello at wrongtermemory.com. Just to wrap it up, he met his long-term partner when he was just a teenager, so he stuck um they were 19 years old and stayed with his girlfriend at the time, uh, what was it, Rima, was her name, Rima Horton, and stayed with her for 50 years, and he described her as being incredibly tolerant, possibly a candidate for a sainthood, so he obviously had that, <laughs> that sort of loving relationship throughout his whole his whole life, and stuck by his guns, seems like a, seems like a decent guy, and we thought we would bring you eight or nine facts about him that you might not have known, so, as always Colin, um, thanks to you enjoy doing this one getting getting to pick because normally it's me that sort of dives in and picks absolute garbage <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was happy to pick between if we did the summer of love there's only so long we could have went hey dude and hey, all that dude, sort of stuff yeah. so I was glad we didn't do that and the Mark Antony one oh, it's, it's fucking black and white it's old <laughs> stuff I'm not interested in that Mark Antony to me is married to Jennifer Lopez that's all I know so uh, we did the right choice, I think. <laughs> I think we did as well. So, as always, Colin, cheers, mate. Pleasure, mate. I will speak to you soon. Right, cheers for listening, guys. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. You know, Daniel, bye. You keep forgetting it, man. Oh, sorry. Bye. Right, thanks. <laughs> cheers, guys. Bye. <laughs>